There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of another week, ladies and gentlemen, and there are some questions that I'd like you to help me answer. One, has anyone seen Boris Johnson? Is he now conducting government by Twitter? Two, can anyone explain why Sajid Javid continues to refuse to address the gaping hole in GPs' working practices and the inefficiencies in the NHS? Three, will anyone please explain why the testing regime is still so badly run, so expensive and so damn confusing? And finally, can we please have some idea of why we pulled all our troops out of Afghanistan only to send 600 back in again? It's as if the army's being run by the grand old Duke of York. 
for heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000. These and other questions will be answered during the course of the show today. First up, though, of course, we'll be asking about the dreadful story that happened overnight. Why someone with obvious mental health issues was able to obtain some kind of long-barreled shotgun, which he used to gun down innocent people in Plymouth, including members of his own family last night. Our first guest is Richard Tice, chairman of the Reform UK party. He's followed by Mike Yardley with his take on that dreadful mass shooting, the worst apparently in Britain since 2010, and the killer uh, who has this morning been named as Jake Davison. 0344 Coming up later on, we're joined by Afghanistan veteran and now defence specialist the Henry Jackson Society, Rob Clark, with his take on the Biden blunder that has led us here. Plus, Jamie Jenkins joins us with the latest from the front line of COVID. COVID statistics, because guess what? The pandemic seems to be no more. Simon Calder here too, with an attempt to explain the muddle that is foreign travel in the heat of August. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say we're kicking off uh, this morning with Richard Tice, chairman of the Reform UK Party. Richard, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Um, It's it's a difficult morning, isn't it? It is a very difficult morning. Yeah, I heard this story last night when I got home. Uh, and it's always terrible. And as the sort of the, the details come out, you realise that not only uh, was this man incredibly dangerous and not only had he gone after his own family, but he was apparently just shooting people at random um, in this very residential area of Plymouth. And thankfully, and I say this, you know, with, with a heavy heart, thankfully he turned the gun on himself because had he not done that, he could have killed an awful lot more people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just our hearts go out to um, everybody involved. Uh, you know, it's it's. I mean, mercifully, this sort of thing happens so rarely here in the UK. You know, we hear about these mass shootings a lot in the United States, and because we've got very strong gun laws, it is normally very very hard for people who are likely to use guns in a very uh, bad way, mm. in a terrible way. Um, that happens very very rarely, and uh, you know, as I say, uh, in in the immediate aftermath. Um, our thoughts are with, with, with Plymouth, the residents, those affected, uh, the emergency services who clearly uh, carried out um, you know, amazing work under really, really challenging and, and probably very scary circumstances. Um, but questions then, I, I guess, will we'll start to move forward. How did this guy, uh, how, how did he get uh, you know, a, a gun that was capable of causing such carnage yes. so quickly? And also, um, the poor people of that particular part of Plymouth, which I understand is a very residential place. There was a park nearby, people were walking dogs. It was a busy time of the evening. Yep. And I think a lot of people will have seen some really terrible things. And so they'll be traumatised by this for a very long time. Uh, they will be. And, uh, you know, for those of us who, uh, you know, I came across the uh, the Westminster Bridge um, terrorist event. And it is really traumatic when you see horrifying scenes that you normally would, would just expect to see in some movie. Yeah. And when you see it play out live, uh, real time in front of you, it is traumatic mm. and it does affect you. And so, you know, the support services, the counselling will be a critical part of, of, of how the residents in that area and indeed in Plymouth mm. uh, recover from it. Because it's a, as, as I say, you know, it's something that, that happens so rarely in the UK. And wherever you are to see this, it's a really, really difficult, yeah. terrifying thing. And I mean, thing. and thankfully we do have 
very few gun crimes in this country. I mean, there are more gun crimes than there used to be, and there are, we know, far more illegal guns in this country now, particularly in the hands of drug dealers and criminals, yeah. than there ever were. But this kind of thing is very unusual, and, and, and in some ways you wonder whether there is anything you can do to keep so many eyes on so many of, of these types of individuals. I mean, he's got a YouTube channel, uh, which some people have looked at, and, and where he's clearly advancing some very strange and unusual views. Um, but there was no evidence that he was about to commit this kind of crime. And I guess that's, you know, that's the tragedy of it. Of course, you know, we would we would all want zero crime, uh, zero violent crime and, and gun crime. But the reality is that um, it's a bit like zero COVID. It's 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 impossible yeah. to get to. There's always, you know, amongst a fantastic law abiding society, there's always some uh, someone out there who's, you know, who's either got some real mental health issues. Um, you know, some might just say some some nutter but you know there's it's it's just a really difficult situation but we are blessed in this country that it is mercifully very rare mm. and you know i mean it's uh the tragedy in hungerford uh about three decades ago yes, i think I it was that. you know which Michael was Ryan. i mean that's right that was a uh, you know we, we still remember that because these events are actually mm. so mercifully rare yeah. here in the uk but but equally um, you know, there is a massive job to uh, it, it, to give people that support to recover from it. Because, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, 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 it's just a really troubling well, you know, thing. I remember even, you know, and I consider myself to be a relatively sensible individual. I mean, after the Bataclan... You sure? Uh, well, you know, some, <laughs> some people might disagree. Uh, but after the Bataclan thing that happened, I remember getting off a tube train one morning and thinking to myself... What would I do if somebody walked yeah. around the corner with a, with an automatic submachine gun yeah. and started firing at people? And I sort of concluded I'd probably try and jump on them or something. But, I mean, you start thinking like that when you, something like this happens because it's so random and it's so kind of meaning... It, does, it, it doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah, it doesn't. And um, it, it, almost you never know how you're going to respond. Uh, when I came out of the tube at Westminster and was faced with a carnage on the bridge, yeah. you know, I was um, I was trying to compute what had gone on, mm. seeing bodies lying the length of the bridge, right. uh, people attending to them, and and I just I couldn't compute what had happened. I didn't know whether it was a gas attack, whether people had been shot. Uh, you you don't imagine. So it's um, yeah, you, you never really know how you're going to respond, mm. uh, and in a way, it's sort of. You don't want to think about it, but inevitably no. you do. But you do, absolutely. And, and we'll bring you this morning, uh, we think, a press conference around about 11.30, uh, which obviously will be live from Plymouth. And we may be speaking to the Plymouth uh, Crime Commissioner as well. Uh, obviously, it's a difficult day. It's a difficult conversation to have, but we will continue to keep you updated with that. Let's move on, Richard, to uh, the events of the week, I suppose. I mean, Afghanistan clearly is another massive story today where we now learn that well, only we pulled all our troops out. Now we're sending 600 of them back. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this story, sadly, is going to run and run. You know, we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years. And uh, actually, during that period, people I, you know, people I know who've been out there, they say that, you know, actually, we have done a huge amount of good. And yes, you know, it's come at the, the, the tragic loss of of brave British soldiers lives and a huge amount of, of treasure as well. But actually, you know, we have transformed lives in Afghanistan. But unfortunately, the way that uh, the Western allies have pulled out mm. uh, has led to this uh, catastrophe. Uh, President Trump uh, thought that they'd done a deal with mm. the Taliban. Um, Biden seems to have accelerated, uh, you know, the pullout. And, and in a sense, the rest of us have had no alternative but to follow. Yes. Uh, because well, the it, US, it had to all be done together, didn't it, it? It had to be done together, but in a way, by announcing it in the way that, that, that happened... Um, it gave a real heads up to the Taliban, yeah. and 
I mean, I think it's um, I, we we seem to never learn the lessons. You know, we've been here before, haven't we? Yeah. You know, whether it was Iraq, whether it was the failures in Libya. You know, time and time again, uh, we go into places and then we pull out in the wrong way, mm. and so the Taliban resurgence, and all of a sudden, we've suddenly realised, hang on, we pulled out. We seem to we seem to have pulled out the troops before we'd pulled out. Uh, all our nationals yes. at well, risk. It seems as though this 600 force that's going in isn't going in to stabilise Afghanistan. It's going in to, 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 to hopefully get all of our people out of there. Which seems extraordinary. Yeah. It's, it's like the cart before the horse. Surely people, you know, the, 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 uh, the people in the MOD and the Foreign Office should have worked out that there's some risks here. And, and there's, you know, we've got, to, we've got to mitigate that risk by making yeah. sure that if there is a resurgence in the, in the Taliban's activities... Have we got enough protection to ensure that our own citizens, our own nationals, uh, our own diplomats are, are, are going to be protected and safe? And if necessary, that there's a contingency plan to mm. get them out sharpish. And that shouldn't, you know, it feels a really cack handed that all of a sudden we've got to rush 600 troops mm. back out back, there. Back Sur- out surely there. it would have been much better, much more uh, organised and structured to gradually reduce your forces, mm. maybe not tell everybody. Uh, the pace and scale yeah. and timing of what you're going to do, uh, and and just see how the the uh, you know the Afghan security forces because you know it, it is important to remember what we've been doing for the last six or seven years is actually uh, boosting and training and helping the Afghan security forces, police and the army uh, to grow and 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 to be able to. Uh, you know, essentially run and, and, and control their own country, which is as it should be. Mm. And that's the role that we've been playing. Um, but the, the challenge now, of course, is that uh, they seem to be unable to halt the advance of the Taliban. Um, who have now <clears> taken Kandahar. Who have now taken Kandahar and a number of other cities. And I think one of the difficulties and one of the, the where people have clearly been surprised is where Afghan security forces, through fear, terror, pressure, whatever... Mm. Uh, have either left the security forces or, heaven forbid, gone over to the other side, i.e. to the Taliban. And that's clearly made things much, much worse. Oh, it has. And Biden's uh, view of it all is that, oh, they should just stand and fight. Oh, great. Well, thanks very much indeed. I mean, that was when we had the tanks and we had the armoury and we had the weaponry. You know, but now uh, we don't have anything. And we're left standing around uh, facing some very brutal thugs who are now enslaving their own people, you know, taking women and children, forcing them into into marriage, raping them. I mean, it's a horrendous scene all over. And it seems to me that even... um, Biden's own um, military advisers were telling him not to do it this way. Even uh, um, uh, the guy who used to work for Trump, you know, who Trump fired, um, he was on uh, TV the other night saying, you know, this is madness, absolutely and utterly crazy. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, as I understand, uh, the US have also got to send troops uh, back out there, having just withdrawn some, uh, in order to protect their own nationals. And so it really does seem that they've been caught, um, uh, they've been surprised by the scale of the advance of the Taliban, but, but I don't think it should have been that much of a surprise. No. I mean, you know, th- they ran huge chunks of the country yeah. uh, before 2001. It's pretty obvious uh, to, to anybody engaged with this uh, with this issue that they would want to try and, uh, in a sense, take back control 
of it, yeah. uh, of, of as much of Afghanistan as they could again. So it, it wasn't going to be a surprise. No. This. And, and it just and feels also, to me I mean, that I'm, militarily they've got the strategy completely yeah. wrong. I mean, I've been talking to uh, military people about Afghanistan for, for years, right? And one of the things they always say, it's always hilarious every year when the politicians come out uh, during the winter months and say, oh, it seems, seems as though we've managed to make the, the Taliban quieten down. Well, that's because it's winter. Yeah. And the Hindu Kush in the winter is not a very uh, hospitable place, so they tend to hunker down. But don't worry, they'll be back in the spring. And every year, sure enough, it was the same thing. So here they are, pulling out all the troops at the, pos the worst possible time in terms of the climate in terms yep. of the weather, in terms of what is going to happen, because there's nothing stopping them. No, I mean, it's... Uh, I, I just wish that uh, that, that our military are... are uh, you know, the, the, the people in the MOD, the Foreign Office, we've got to learn lessons of the failures of the past mm. and a sudden withdrawal when you know that there is a, a, a an active, well-resourced uh, force of Taliban uh, militia... Uh, and you know what their ambitions are. It, 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 I just think this was, this really was uh, a, a disaster waiting to happen, and, and it looks as though it's playing out. And I suspect that the, this story is going to get a lot worse. It's got all the feeling of a sort of, you know, Saigon in Vietnam back in the late sixties and and seventies, mm. uh, and we we just haven't learned the same, no. you know, the uh, the lessons. And yeah, it's it's going to be really difficult, and we may we may suddenly discover that we're back there for years to come. Yes, I think that's an absolute truism because what we have to be careful of is it doesn't turn into another failed state like Libya, uh, which inevitably will end up, if nothing else, with a whole load of refugees coming across Europe and entering Britain via, you know, um, the southeast coast. And, and th these are the difficult judgments to make. You know, we we want the Afghan government and the Afghan people, of course, uh, to to be able to. Uh, to run their country, and that's that's what the the strategy has been. Uh, but it's difficult when you've got a uh, a militia force, uh, you know, an extremist uh, group with some frankly vile ideas as to as to how to run, uh, you know, to, to to run a place, to run a region, to run a country. Um, when they want to impose their will uh, with their vile attitudes towards women. Um, yeah, it's it, these these are difficult things, mm. and we, you know we as we as the Western allies, we've gone in there, and to pull out too quickly, uh, you know, we, we, it looks as though we're going to pay the price, and we're yeah. going to have to, uh, you know, go back in and and help provide additional support. Otherwise, as you say, it becomes a failed state well, we with all the, the risks. We've reaped the whirlwind of it. Yeah, and then then ultimately, at some point, um, we will suffer the penalty because these failed states uh, they harbour terrorists. They end up being. Uh, places where where terrorist training camps, uh, you know, reemerge, and then they they come back into the west and and, and, and wreak their it, hideous you know, damage. That area with Pakistan and India, they're poised very delicately. There's nuclear weaponry around. You know, you got to be very careful what you allow these people to do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, you know, it, the relationship with Pakistan and the Taliban is, is clearly very very complex. Mm. And yeah, I, I think that um, w we're going to have to. Uh, you know, take a take a really really uh, strong view again about trying to uh, ensure that it doesn't slide back into being a failed state and that the Taliban don't take mm. complete control because otherwise, who knows what is round the corner? And and I don't think that's what clearly not what the vast majority of the Afghan people want. You know, they they want stability, they want safety and security, 
uh, and as I understand, you know, I've never been there, but from people I've t spoken to who have, um, they were incredibly grateful mm. for, uh, you know, for, for, for the fact that life did get much, much better yes. uh, after the Taliban were routed out of control Absolutely. back in 2001. Well, horrible, ghastly, you know, cult of, of, of sort of individuals. It's dreadful. Richard, stay with us. We're going to talk about Boris Johnson. We're going to talk about Wuhan as well. Uh, it's all coming up. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice is here with me, the head of the Reform UK party. Let's talk about Boris Johnson and his leadership potential because he's not showing any at the moment. I'm looking at his Twitter feed at the moment in which he's talked about how fantastic it is that 70% of adults under 30 have come forward to get vaccinated. He's encouraged about the economic growth figures. He's full of the joys of spring about some uh, team of people who have rode across the Atlantic. He's congratulating people for GCSE awards and, and A-level results and all of that. And, you know, and to be fair, he has put out a tweet this morning about uh, the shooting down in Plymouth. But that's all we've seen of him. He's done nothing really that we've seen in, in person. He's not come out and made any statements about anything. I mean, we did another show yesterday about all the NHS waiting problems that people have got, people not being able to see their GPs, nothing to say about that. Hasn't made any kind of statement properly about Afghanistan, you know. I mean, the simple question is, where's Boris? Yeah. And it's not the first time that he's gone on the missing list. And you can't run an incredible country like this, but equally with its challenges, by Twitter. Mm. It's just not good enough. And you've, you've got all these, these massive issues. You've got Afghanistan. You've got the, the, the growing NHS uh, crisis mm. in terms and of... And it the, is a the, growing the, crisis. It, oh, it's a serious crisis. I think it's, it's number one on people's concerns. You know, I mean, good luck trying to go and see... Uh, a doctor, yeah. you know, you might it might take two or three weeks to get a phone call. Yeah, I mean, um, I had dozens of people yesterday getting in touch, yeah, um, telling me their own personal stories, and none of them were positive. And I've never, I've, I've, I cannot recall the prime minister in front of a camera uh, talking about or answering questions about the state of our NHS mm. and you know, talking with the health secretary how we're going to get through this, right. what changes, what reforms are needed in order to. Yeah. Uh, you know, t to essentially get the health service anything like back mm. uh, to what it was pre-COVID and to where people want to go. And I mean, certainly from from our perspective, uh, Reform UK, you know, we're going to be coming forward with some very clear plans over the coming weeks about what actually needs to be done. Mm. Because we, we should be so much more ambitious. You know, all this idea that you've got waiting lists and uh, it's tough, you're going to have to wait 18, 36 52 weeks of plus. COVID. Forget all that. Yeah. I want to be ambitious. Right. I want zero waiting lists. Yeah. Why can't we be brilliant? Well how, well, how about they guarantee that if you call the GP uh, who you have as listed as your GP, that one, they get to see you that day, uh, or two, they at least speak to you that day? Because at the moment, that's not happening. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just awful. People wanting to, to see a GP, and as I say, it might take two or three weeks and you're told, oh, you'll get a phone call either in the morning or in mm. the afternoon. It's utterly ludicrous. Yeah. This doesn't happen in any other healthcare system right. in the Western world. I'm quite sure of it. So something has gone really badly wrong. And, you know, it's incumbent on Boris Johnson and Sajid Javid as the health secretary to actually give some, give some leadership yeah. on this and say to people they understand, uh, they hear the problems, and they are literally working 24-7 uh, to get on top of it and mm. to, to give some real leadership because otherwise I think this issue is going to grow and grow and become a bigger crisis as we head towards the inevitable 
winter crisis winter that we hear, discontent you know, and the, yeah the nhs is overwhelmed again and and and, the, and then all all the challenges that come with that and so then the the uh, you can see the the headlines again well we've got to protect the nhs which means we've got to lock down because mm. we've got more flu or, or whatever right I know, shocking. Let's finally finish with, uh, Richard, this story in The Telegraph this morning. Uh, A Chinese scientist may have started the pandemic after being infected with coronavirus while collecting bat samples, according to the head of the World Health Organization. Now, the reason I want to mention this is because for weeks and probably months... Anyone who said anything about this was castigated, yep. uh, was uh, was told that they were some kind of, you know, conspiracy theorist, COVID denier. You know, it didn't happen in a lab in Wuhan. Well, according to the World Health Organization, it very possibly did. And there's now a Danish documentary out there uh, which is saying it's actually a likely hypothesis. Well, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, President Biden instructed his officials and teams, I think he gave them 90 days mm. uh, to report on it. I think it is now the, the, the main sort of accepted dynamic that it came out of a laboratory the question yeah. is actually you know was it an accident or was it deliberate but you're actually right. you know many of us we weren't allowed to talk about this no. for months and months you know we've, be, we've all been censored yeah. on so many different issues right. and so to do with COVID. On, on, on the tech of platforms on social media that's right you know things are being taken down yeah things being told that, that you know that's absolutely criminal to say that well guess what it's true yeah and and frankly some of those people they should uh, they should be apologizing and uh, I'll be talking about it because we do have a, uh, just to finish, Mike, we have a bit of an announcement to make, don't we? We do, indeed. Would you like to make it or shall I? Well, um, I'm, I'm delighted to announce to the listeners that uh, whatever you're doing on Sunday morning uh, at 10 o'clock, I will be hosting Tice Talk here live on Talk Radio for three hours. So hopefully people will listen in and we'll be talking about these issues and many more. It's fantastic news because we've been having you on this show uh, for many, many weeks. Uh, you've been a great supporter of Talk Radio ever since the beginning of it. And how fantastic now that you're actually joining the team. Well, I'm, I'm really Obviously delighted. You don't really, need the money, but I mean, you know, like they wouldn't <laughs> well, pay much anyway. I wouldn't worry about that. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a big thing. And Sunday morning, there's there'll always be a lot in the uh, in the papers, there's a lot of issues that I feel really passionate about. Mm. Uh, we've got Afghanistan, we've got the Green Agenda, we've got China. Yes. There's a lot to go at. Yes, mate. we didn't even get to the Green Agenda because we haven't got time. We'll save that for Sunday. Richard Tice, don't miss it. 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. It'll be fantastic uh, and it'll be a great addition to what is already the greatest radio station on the planet. You know that. I know that. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the NHS, particularly uh, the failings of GPs. And so many of you still getting in touch with me today and overnight to tell me about terrible experiences you've had trying to get to see your GP, trying uh, but failing to get some kind of procedure done, uh, trying to even get yourself physically inside a GP surgery. So many people telling me you had to wait outside, uh, people being treated in cars, people being told to wait in cars. Absolutely astonishing set of affairs. Uh, Sajid Javid needs to sort this and he needs to sort it now. We're going to talk to Jamie Jenkins in a moment, independent statistician and political commentator, of course, because a couple of things happening overnight, uh, which we can tell you about. Uh, Certainly one in 10 coronavirus patients caught the virus while in hospital. That's during the first wave. We know uh, that four out of 10 people who were being told uh, they had COVID in hospital uh, were, in fact, uh, getting it while they were there for something else. Number of pings apparently has dropped by just under 80,000 in a week as the rules are set to change from Monday. Uh, And, of course, uh, check-ins on the NHS app have plunged 75% as well. So the pandemic, I think, is no more. Jamie, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. You good? Yeah, very well indeed. Um, some miserable news around this morning. Um, we're still trying to, to sort of, you know, uh, forage our way through the, the various NHS stories and the COVID stories, but it does appear as though the pandemic has come somewhat over, if not under control. 
Yeah, I think so, Mike. Uh, I've been up in the Midlands the last couple of days, uh, kind of left Wales and gone up, up there. And They let you out and, now, um, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they let me just about letting us out, Mike. So I've been <laughs> up there and uh, loads of venues that I've visited, QR codes were still up there, but none of the, the businesses are asking you to scan in. I didn't see anybody scanning in myself. So I think that's probably where we've seen this mass drop in people sc- scanning into places because obviously if you don't scan in, you can't get pinged. We know people have been taking the app off as well. So... Well, it's interesting. I mean, I was in a pub yesterday, funnily enough, um, where I don't go that often. And um, they had still had a sign at the at the, uh, the, the sort of entrance saying, please wait to be seated. We went and sat down and then there was a, a, a QR code on the table, but nobody mentioned it and nobody said anything. And I presume that nobody's being asked to, to, to enter those anymore anyway. No, that's the experience I, I found when I was over there. And, and Wales last Saturday, Mike, we, they did bring in what England's coming in from Monday, where if you are pinged and you've kind of had two jabs, you don't have to kind of, well, the, it's always been guidance to self-isolate with the, with the app as well, Mike, because it's not a legal requirement unless you're phoned up. So so I think we've seen that. I think some of the other stories that have come around with the stats this week is the, the NHS waiting times. And I think what, we've got this thing that might happen over the next few years of the NHS waiting times getting over 10 million. But the only way they can get up that high, Mike, is what we've estimated, I think, is around 7 million people are undiagnosed in the system at the moment, which mm. would add to the figures. And we had new figures out yesterday showing record numbers at about just under five and a half million. But the problem, Mike, and you've been highlighting every day, is that you can't enter the system. And before the pandemic, you'd get about 1.6 million people entering the waiting list system every month. Right. That's still below that level now. And the reason being, Mike, is you can't get to see a GP to be diagnosed. No. So, well, I mean, you, you will have heard if you've well, you would have heard if you were listening to us yesterday. A number of people who have actually taken, you know, ill individuals, patients, effectively, to GP surgeries, only to be told that they can't come in, and they either got to wait outside or they got to go back and sit in their car and wait for somebody to ring them. I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and, and, and I've been hearing stories, Mike, as well about where if you go to see, you phone up your GP, you've got to prove you're not having COVID, you've got to get a negative test before mm. potentially you would see them. So it just seems rather bizarre that you've got to prove that you're not ill before you can see a GP. And, <laughs> and that's kind of that's the purpose of a GP, Mike, isn't it? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, the doctor won't see you now is now the phrase rather than the other way around. It seems absolutely ridiculous. But in terms of people checking in with this NHS app, um, I mean, at some point or other, surely the government are just going to have to abandon it all, aren't they? Because to, to say that uh, 1.7 million times it was used uh, last week, I mean, I'm still shaking my head wondering why are people still using it 1.7 million times, but down from 6.7 million two weeks before. So clearly most people or most sensible people have gone, I'm just not doing it anymore. Yeah, I think public confidence has gone from the app now, Mike. But the app has less kind of importance now, I suppose, than what it had when the app was first mooted because we didn't have kind of vaccines in those days so basically it was a case of how do we control the spread of the virus without locking everybody in permanently which is kind of what they seem to be doing in australia at the moment and and so now majority of the population over 90 percent of adults have had a single dose we've hit a good milestone of uh, three quarters of them having two doses of the vaccine now so so the purpose of the app is less relevant and 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 some of the things that have come out because it's a moving piece of the evidence around covid all the time mike is that we found out last week from Public Health England that they're now saying that the Indian Delta variant, that even if you've had two doses of a vaccine and you catch COVID, the, the viral load and the spread might be the same as if you haven't had a vaccine, which kind of throws the whole vaccine passport policy up in the air. So so I think 
you know, the vaccination is there to protect yourself. Mm. You've got basically this rollout now that's gone on. So I think the role of the apps definitely come down. The public confidence in the app isn't there. And Mike, to be frank, the, the app only works if everybody's taking part, really. Well, that's why you've got a certain part uh, of the population doing it. What's the point? Well, that's why it's never really worked, has it? I mean, it's never really been able to be called a success at anything, really. No, Mike, it's just another one of those failures that we've seen. And, and, and just in terms of the numbers on COVID at the moment, the good news is, and they're relatively low. The, the, we know the vaccine has reduced the number of hospitalizations and deaths. You've probably seen cases have gone up slightly in the last week, but nothing alarming. I think we're probably at that point of the pandemic now, Mike, which is I think some people have been calling to stop the government publishing the figures every day because we're going to see figures every single day. Maybe we just have 20,000 cases continue and continue and continue. And I think we've reached that point in the pandemic, Mike, where we can have to learn to live with the virus and, and COVID deaths are still a relatively low number yes. when you compare to all deaths in the country. And I think, to be honest, I mean, I would say the media plays a role in this as well. I mean, the Telegraph has more or less stopped putting it figures on the front page now because there's more important stuff to talk about. Um, but yet the, the, the TV companies are still pumping out this nonsense, saying, you know, well, there's so many dead here, there's so many cases, so many vaccinations. I mean, you know, we don't need to know that. If you want to look it up, go look it up. It doesn't need to be announced like it's some kind of, you know, breaking news every single five minutes. And I think that's part of the problem now, Mike. It's become kind of this thing every single day, how many people have died from COVID or died having a positive test with COVID. Uh, and, and we still know them. And it's been like this for several months, Mike, that more people are dying from pneumonia and mm. flu, that more people are dying from cancer. And I think it just keeps that fear going on. We, we're going to continue to see cases now, Mike. The country's unlocked. We haven't seen this rapid rise of all these doom kind of predictions of it in 100,000 cases per day. Great news with regards to all of that. We're just going to learn to live with it now, Mike. Good news, the pandemic's coming down. I think what the, I've been seeing, I was in, when I was up in Birmingham, there were people on the street, Mike, trying to give me free lateral flow tests away. So they're paying kind of people to actually give tests away. You know, I'd rather my money, your taxpayers' money is being spent on getting the NHS back Get the GPs opening rather than well, paying I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. There, there are dozens, uh, probably thousands of people uh, who need to be seen by a doctor who need to get some treatment. I mean, so many people are now having to go private. And amazingly, as soon as you mentioned the word private, oh, that's fine, that's not a problem. Everybody can be treated then. Uh, you know, you do wonder what's going on. No, Mike, bang on there. I, I think the problem we're going to have is over the next few years, we might start seeing excess death because of this. You know, seven million people aren't all going to get treated by the NHS. They haven't got the capacity to do that. They need, they haven't got the staff to kind of fix this backlog that all of this kind of lockdowns mm. has caused. I think the problem we're going to have, Mike, is we're going to see in the figures. Sadly, it probably isn't going to be as big as we saw with COVID, with these large numbers of excess deaths, because there'll just be a small number probably every week above normal. But there's going to be many people, Mike, now over the next few years who are going to sadly die because they can't get to the NHS. And that's probably, you know, a huge tragedy that's waiting to come. Yes, and I think that's exactly where the NHS is getting it wrong. Jamie, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician, political commentator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Ross Powell is here. Ross, you've been covering the story all morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, bring us up to date just for those who haven't really been across the story from the beginning. What actually happened last night? Just talk us through it. Yeah, sure. Morning, Mike. Uh, yeah, what we know so far is that five people and the suspected gunman in this incident have died, which started unfolding yesterday in the, the Keyham area of Plymouth, which is very near the Devonport Naval Base down on the city's dock. Uh, Devon and Cornwall Police have confirmed that three females, two males and the suspect, who's been named as Jake Davison, who was 23, they all died 
in the attack. Now, the local MP, one of the local MPs, Luke Pollard, has said that one of those killed in the attack was tragically a small child who was under the age of 10, which mm. makes this all the more horrific. He also added that other people were receiving treatment in hospital, Though it's not clear at the moment how many at this stage. We'll hopefully get an update on that from the police conference that will take at around 11.30. Now, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace said the shooting was not terror-related, so it's thankfully over uh, this incident. They're not looking for any Mm. other suspects at all. But one thing that's been brought up this morning, not just by some of the local MPs, but also the police down in that part of the world, is that this is so rare for a town like Plymouth. You know, thankfully, gun crime is fairly rare in the UK yeah. anyway. It's not unheard of in places like London, Manchester, mm. etc. But, you know, this is a town that we're hearing doesn't even really have a particularly big problem with knife crime, yeah. or sort of violent crime, etc. So for something like this, has completely taken everybody by surprise and, and everyone's reeling from it. And one more thing that's come out from the police over the last uh, sort of few hours, they're stressing, you know, if you do see any of this footage on mm. social media, which you may have seen circulating around, please don't share it. You know, yeah. please don't uh, share it to anyone. There is a police investigation going on. And out of anything, just out of respect for the families, you know, please don't sort of circulate this stuff that no, that's surfaces. OK, Ross, thank you very much indeed. We'll uh, be going to that press conference hopefully for you at 11.30 but if not we'll certainly bring you all the details from that press conference with Ross um, uh, Powell a little bit later on uh, and we'll be talking about it throughout the show of course a terrible terrible story and as uh, Ross says thankfully something that doesn't happen terribly often uh, in this country let's switch over now though to Rob Clark Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society uh, because he's a former veteran uh, of Afghanistan the conflict there which is going on now seemingly forever Uh, Rob a very good morning to you Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Um, I guess if you've been to Afghanistan and you've served there, um, this must bring back some pretty kind of interesting memories. I don't want to say horrific memories because I don't know what your experience was there, but but I know a lot of people who served uh, time there. And, um, you know, it's a terribly bleak place in many ways, but the people are very warm. The people are, uh, are incredibly sort of um, generous, I'm told. And now uh, they're simply being overrun by these thugs who call themselves the Taliban trying to drag the country back into sort of medieval times where women are treated as chattels you know they're raped at will children are turned into child brides for the for the fighters which seems to be going on hundreds of thousands of people are now being forced to move out of their homes as the taliban take more uh, land and just basically steal from people um and it's all so it could have been all so different couldn't it Absolutely. That's the important distinction to be made here is this was completely unnecessary. One of the things that people have been drawing to the last few days, almost in President Biden's defence of his uh, unilateral decision to completely withdraw, is the fact that the terms of the withdrawal were actually set under the previous Trump administration and the so-called Taliban-US deal struck in February of last year. However, the conditions of that deal were still yet to be meted out um, before Trump left office. And crucially, that involved what actual long-term US presence would remain. It wasn't going to be a complete withdrawal, like it would have involved intelligence assets and uh, potentially some form of air support, which is absolutely crucial. And we can see once the US, uh, once the, 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 the lack of US guarantee for air support um, is now in play, uh, that's what's enabling the Taliban to make such swift, uh, rapid advances across the country. Mm. You mentioned myself, I've served, and I know you obviously know people elsewhere who have served thousands of uh, men and women have served in Afghanistan. I think from a personal perspective, it's deeply frustrating to see, um, you know, the word betrayal has been used quite often. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have to agree uh, to an extent. Um, and that's purely because the, the lack of uh, political uh, integrity surrounding um, this, this decision, this choice. And a lot of people have made the 
comparison with with Vietnam and the withdrawal of Saigon, uh, obviously in the mid seventies, and the difference is there that you know the US were forced. There was absolutely no alternative uh, except the complete um, American withdrawal from Vietnam. Mm. This is completely separate, um, and I have no doubt in my mind that the that this withdrawal uh, of, of NATO troops from Afghanistan will go down as. Uh, America, Britain and NATO's largest foreign policy disaster in, in 50 years. Yes, well as I said at the top of the show it's going to be the anniversary of 9-11, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 shortly uh, and bizarrely uh, it looks like at that time when it comes in September uh, it's going to be that the Afghan uh, nation is run by the Taliban. I mean this is a question I've been asked a lot recently is um, not, not it's not a matter of this if it's a matter of when mm. um, and precisely because the Taliban advance has been so swift um, it's so hard to predict. Uh, only this week, um, I was predicting the, 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 the holdout of Lashkar the provincial capital of Helmand, under the 215 Corps, uh, which are the, the Afghan National Army trained by the British. It looks now that that's uh, all but almost uh, fallen, as well as uh, Kandahar last night and Herat this week. Um, so these are incredibly important developments um, and very worrying. In terms of the anniversary of 9-11, um, I, I think it can no longer be um, really, speculation as to as to whether uh, the Taliban will, will will be in power by then. I think what's increasingly likely, I've, we've seen um, Secretary of State Joe Blinken saying that uh, you know he's he's determined for a diplomatic solution, which is obviously ho- holding the door open uh, for some sort of uh, negotiation and peace with the Taliban. And it looks increasingly like that's going to be the expense of the legitimate Afghan government that we've spent 20 years and almost trillions of dollars and pounds shoring up. Mm. It looks like um, President Ghani is actually going to be almost forced out of office uh, to allow the Taliban to actually, um, you know, uh, come to the peace table. People say to me, Rob, you know, what is the importance of Afghanistan to, to us, as it were? For me, there are two things at play here. One, the incredible strategic importance of Afghanistan, where it is, the fact that it borders Iran, the fact that it borders Pakistan, the fact that it's now being run effectively by fanatics. Um, and, and then that whole region, which has nuclear capability, is already fairly fragile. And if they were ever to get their hands on something like that, which is not completely out of the question, God knows what they would do with it. And the second part of it is what happens to the people who end up eventually fleeing the country, because we all know where they're going to end up. They'll end up in Dover. That's incredibly perceptive. I couldn't agree more with those two points, actually. The region is an absolute tinderbox, to put it uh, bluntly. Uh, all you have to do is consider Afghanistan's immediate neighbours, you know, Pakistan, China, Iran, and also severe uh, and significant Russian influence. You know, these are not friends of the UK or the West writ large. These are um, global competitive uh, states who seek to take advantage of any weakness in the geopolitical order, which the West is, uh, or rather the UK, is intrinsic in holding. So, yeah. This issue with the withdrawal of Afghanistan is so much larger than the the immediate effects of Afghanistan. But coming back to that and your second point, again, I completely agree. It's the in, imminent humanitarian and refugee crisis we're going to witness. Um, myself in Nottingham, uh, Nottingham is about to receive hundreds of uh, Afghan refugees in the coming days. Um, and uh, more than that as well, we consider the effect that this will have uh, across uh, the region. Um, I think Kabul has already taken around 3 million mm. uh, refugees from across the city. Kabul is pretty much the only place now that's holding out um, against uh, the, the Taliban onslaught. So you have 3 million internally displaced civilians who have come to seek shelter in Kabul. Um, you know, this will just increase things like famine, disease, health issues, and obviously poverty, mm. which is already one of the poorest in the world. And again, I cannot underline enough 
that this was completely unnecessary. Uh, we've spoken before, Mike, about how the, the footprint, the military footprint that was um, still in Afghanistan is incredibly light in comparison to, for example, we have more troops in Estonia. Mm. Uh, and when you consider the long-term impact, Rory Stewart actually put it really well the other day. Um, when you consider the, the American and British presence in Germany and Japan and for the Americans in South Korea post-World War II, we still have troops in Germany 70 years later and people aren't turning around asking, but why isn't it time to bring our troops back from Germany? And likewise with Japan and South Korea for America. Mm. Um, you know, this is such a needless uh, foreign policy blunder. It's, it's, it's borderline shocking. Yes, and unforgivable as well to leave people behind because my understanding of the 600 who have gone back in, mostly paras, uh, is to safeguard British nationals who are still in Afghanistan. I mean, it beggars belief that they've taken everybody out and all the protection out while there are still people, I don't know how many, I don't know if you know how many, uh, British nationals working there. So, I mean, there's currently around 4,000 British uh, citizens who work in Afghanistan. That ranges all the way from the consular and the embassy staff all the way to um, the uh, civil service that we still maintain there and also the security element, the private security contractors, of which there's about 2,500. Mm. Um, but in terms of, yeah, the 600 troops, that's from 16 Air Assault Brigade. It's mostly um, 2nd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, forming the, the bulk of that. Um, they're on their way already. The hope is that they will have uh, expedited the uh, remaining British nationals before uh, September the 11th. Um, uh, so it's seen as a very short, you know, three or four week uh, deployment for, uh, for 16 Air Assault uh, to bring back the remaining citizens, uh, British citizens, who also choose uh, to, to, to leave. There will never be some British people who want to stay and obviously have their own lives and that's well within their, you know, within their rights. Mm. Um, but also, crucially as well, it looks like this is going to include uh, the Afghan civilians who, um, you know, we need to get out as soon as possible, like I said before, with the, the interpreters and the, the former Afghan staff who have worked at the British Embassy and uh, elsewhere for the British effort. So um, the next three or four weeks, it's uh, almost all hands to the station to try and bring back the British uh, civilians and obviously the Afghans who have been intrinsic to the British effort. Absolutely. Um, and Joe Biden's rather pathetic um, uh, idea that the Afghan army should protect themselves and just fight uh, for their right to run the country. They're clearly being overrun. They seem to be giving in quite uh, quite easily, presumably because the Taliban have greater weaponry. The Taliban seem to have confiscated an awful lot of uh, the Afghan army's stuff uh, and seem to be turning it on themselves. I think it's absolutely abysmal, President Biden's lack of response over the last few days. Uh, I think on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, he was quoted as saying, it is time that the Afghans stand on their own two feet. It's why, why, you know, this is the president of the no. of the free world. W what statement is that? I wouldn't expect that in some sort of A-level answer. You know, why Why is it the time? You know, the time, it, it, it's simply not the time. And this, uh, this violence and this uh, hasty withdrawal just underlines that the fact that this is not the time. Um, in terms of the Taliban uh, and the Afghan National Army, so there's there's various nuances. I'll keep it brief because it's quite a long answer, but I'll keep it as short as I can. There's lots of nuances within the Afghan National Security Forces. The ANA, the Afghan National Army, uh, are often uh, regionally recruited, so therefore their alliances aren't always to the areas where they are stationed. So for, you know... It, me, myself from Nottingham, if I came to London to uphold civil unrest, for example, I have no loyalty, I have no ties there. Yeah. So it's a very difficult situation. The Afghan Special Forces, the commandos, for example, and they've been intrinsic in the fight in Helmand, um, they are incredibly well trained and incredibly well armed. When the Taliban have taken over weapons and vehicles, it's often from the uh, Afghan uh, police force, the Afghan uh, AUP, the Afghan Uniform Police. Um, they operate more as like a militia, more sort of civilian 
um, sort of force. So when they've taken over their weapons and their vehicles with relative ease in return for safe passage, they can turn those on the army. And what I will say on this day, on, on this as well, we've seen countless examples now of uh, Afghan forces uh, being beheaded, shot, executed when they surrender to the Taliban. So this is just the most abysmal, uh, apocalyptic uh, eventuality that can befall a country that you mentioned in your opening remarks has seen, uh, you know, it's been in conflict in one form or another for the last four decades. Yeah, absolutely shocking state of affairs. Rob, thanks very much indeed for your help. Rob Clark there, uh, with his knowledge of Afghanistan, having served there, uh, he's also now Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society, explaining just how this ridiculous decision made by President Joe Biden in the White House has wreaked havoc on an entire nation. He's basically dispatched Afghanistan into medieval history. It will now go back to the Taliban. It will now be run by the sort of people who think that statues which don't um, apparently appease the, the Islamification of the country should be blown up. People who think that women who want to go to school should be shot in the head. People who think uh, that women who want to show their faces should be stoned to death. These are the kind of people who are now running Afghanistan. We have abandoned them. Uh, now we will see what the whirlwind is that we reap from that. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, uh, take you to Simon Calder, travel editor of The Independent, travel guru uh, to Talk Radio, a a man frustrated uh, as every week passes because he can't ever really seem to be able to go anywhere. Simon, a very good afternoon to you. Uh, Yeah, Mike, um, great to talk to you. And I am actually travelling in real time. I am going to make an ascent of the six million pound mound. Tremendous. I'm, I, I've been acclimatising. I'm just outside Marble Arch Station. And uh, this, of course, um, as uh, Talk Radio has been reporting, um, the cost doubled overnight to six million pounds. It's um, a temporary structure. I'm going to try. Now, I mean, you've heard of, um, uh, you, you've heard of uh, Kilimanjaro. Yes. You've heard of Aconcagua. You, you've heard of Everest. Well, I am trying this solo Without oxygen, I haven't roped up to anybody. Right. Um, I'm climbing this um, remarkable uh, structure, and that's what it is. I mean, don't, uh, it might look completely natural to you, but actually it's, uh, it, it's, it's a, a work of man, a, a six million pound work of man, and it is decorating the western end of Oxford Street. Now, unlike Kilimanjaro, Everest and so on, it's also within zone one of the underground and um, that's what the uh, Westminster City Council hopes is going to transform the uh, fortunes of, uh, of of the West End of London. Footfall down 50%. Um, basically the uh, people aren't coming into London. Five, One in five shops along Oxford Street behind me has closed so you've got to do something and what they've done is come up with a new tourist attraction. Well, except it's it's been so successful that I was reading this morning uh, that the uh, deputy leader of the Westminster City Council has resigned uh, as a result of this particular blunder. So congratulations, Simon, on on making it to the summit. Um, with, I'm not the summit. This without, is advanced base camp. Oh, is that advanced base camp? Right, without crampons. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, it's not you. exactly been an absolute success, has it, for Westminster City Council? Uh, well, it's been a complete disaster, except, and look, this chimes, would you believe, uh, Mike, with what you were saying to Liza, Lisa, uh, sorry, to Claudia, Lisa, twenty minutes ago yeah. about um, uh, about whether it's all a cunning plan. This place is now. I was here on Monday morning. It is now absolutely packed with people. 
Um, and they clearly wouldn't know about it unless there'd been a huge fuss on talk radio and else clearly. other media about it. And so maybe that was the plan all along. I mean, I can even even hear from advanced base camp about halfway up. I can see well um, some of Park Lane and a bit of Hyde Park and um, lots of buses. Um, so it's going well so far. And I'm, if I may, I'm going to press on and try and yes. keep talking to you. Remember. No supplementary oxygen. So, no, that's you know, right. Now, can you, can, you, can you tell me whether or not you had to pay to get up this particular No, you don't. Now, okay, so last, uh, sorry, opened prematurely on the 26th of July, and it was charging £4.50 and immediately got reviews as being the worst value <laughs> tourist attraction in the world. Um, they've now reopened. They reopened on Monday. They dropped the charge. They said you have to book in advance which of course i did right um but actually i've just come along with my ticket which i specially booked to uh, uh so i can make this solo um unroped attempt um to coincide with your 12 o'clock <laughs> hour and they weren't interested in my barcode at all so um uh effectively um i think it's it's open to all yes comers. similar to uh, board, similar to the board of force oh, at heathrow then who don't seem that yeah. interested in checking people's yeah. uh pcr tests right Exactly. And now, look, um, normally when we're attempting a high mountain, um, I would uh, actually lay in supplies higher up. I haven't done that because I may be able to get it pretty much to the top in one go. Right. Um, there's a little old lady ahead of me who seems to be doing just that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly hopeful. Um, my goodness me. And here we are so just pausing before the final ascent. And I can see... Um, well, halfway down Edgware Road. Can so you see the shard from there? Because if you can see I the can, shard, I if can. you can see the shard, that, that, that can mean only one thing, Mike. Well, well they I'm, can I'm, see I'm, us from there. Well, I'm literally you next to the. I mean? I'm literally next um, to the I shard. Mean, you're watching on. Uh, yeah, the, the shard is behind me, and there will be people on the shard who are actually watching us. Um, although I imagine that the shard looks a little bit more impressive from here than we do from there. If you see what I mean, I do. But, I mean, if I look to my left, right, I could probably see where you are, but I'm not oh, sure. Right. I want... I'm... Oh, you're waving. How sweet. <laughs> That's very nice. Yes. So, so yes, you're about, uh, uh, yeah, you must be three or four miles away from me, but uh, uh, you can probably hear the wind picking up now. I mean, that's what happens at the top of high mountains. You get gales, which are just unparalleled force mike mm. but i'm going to try and keep talking and uh, see what uh, now is it uh, is it get. entirely covid secure in as much as you go up one way and come down another uh no the, the, the <laughs> idea will be um because it's not actually it's not actually a real mountain mike i don't wish to um yeah uh, break the uh, break, break the taboo no it's not it's all scaffolding um and steel and the idea will be well, absolute waste of time you actually you climb down the middle and then you go into the cafe and the gift shop. Right. So what's not to like about that? Wouldn't it have made more um, sense? I mean, call me um, as somebody who's far more interesting than anybody at Westminster City Council. Wouldn't it have been far more sensible to have a slide down? <laughs> I mean, then you'd be talking, wouldn't you? <laughs> or a zip wire, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or from where you are, we could put a zip wire across London. I'd, I'd pay. Yes. Crikey, yes. Well, but we do need a slide, yes. I think that's, that's well, Fantastic. at least that would make it interesting. You know, I mean, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's literally, I mean, you can tell it's been dreamed up by bureaucrats who don't have any fun in their lives. Who the hell wants well, to climb up a fake mound of earth in the middle of Marble Arch? Well, actually, quite a lot of people. I'm counting here. There's probably uh, 30 people up here 30. on base camp. No, nobody's actually, uh, sorry, not base camp, on the summit. Um, there's a lift if you want to, if you, if you 
I don't, don't want to make the stairs, by no. the way. Oh. Which I don't think they've got at um, Everest yet, but I could be wrong. Yes. Um, and yeah, about 30 people. We're all having a nice time. And it's a different view of London. Yeah. And you can just see what we used to call, in the olden days, the post office tower. Yes. Um, I can see maybe, I can see Bouncy Power Station. Yep. Um, and yeah, and lots of trees. Can you, so see the can you see the headquarters of MI6? Uh, no, you can't, um, which is probably just as well. Either that or it's very well camouflaged. Yes. And what about Canary Wharf? Can you see Canary Wharf? Uh, can, can I, no, 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 because there's, um, a, there's a seven-story building in the way. <laughs> yes, it's not not the highest viewpoint. Most of the surrounding buildings are considerably it's tall. Entirely pointless. But, entirely that, pointless. That, Listen, I, oh, I, I salute your indefatigability, Mr. Calder, uh, as ever. Right. But let's get down to business. Let's get down to business. I've now seen, I think, every day for the, about the past three weeks, it's the end of the travel test rip-offs. But it yes. doesn't yet seem to be the case. No, that's because it's not the end of the travel test rip-off, <laughs> Mike. Um, that's going to come at the end of August. Really? And look, the most sensible thing I've heard for a long while about this um, it was very surprising because it was from you about half an hour ago. Mm. Um, you said, Maybe this is all part of a cunning plan to stop us travelling. Yes. And then I realised, yes, it must be, actually, um, because it is the only thing which makes sense. And I hope that one day a cabinet minister, after he or she gets sacked, comes out and says, yeah, actually, we were trying to stop people going yeah. on holiday. Worked a treat, didn't it? Um, and, and he's honest with us, because if not, then all we can conclude is that there is absolutely massive incompetence at the heart of government and that of course is um, unconscionable so that would be incredibly um, hard I, to believe I, I think you are right yes yeah yeah i don't um, think so, any, i don't think there's any doubt because let me tell you something which i, I spoke to uh, somebody else earlier on in the week about uh, a friend of mine is trying to get to croatia and has been a bit yes. confused about which test to use because it has to be an eu approved test actually asked british airways from whom he bought the tickets to go uh, and said, could you tell us which test to get? And British Airways said, no, I'm afraid we can't. It's too complicated. So we do not advise on this matter. And you go, uh, yeah. well, well, if the airline can't tell you what test to get, who can? I can. can there you? we are. How about that? Go yes. on then. You um, tell but us. That's only because it's my life's work um, when I'm not mountaineering. Um, so, so, yeah, right. And first of all, a couple of things. And it was so interesting to hear your discussion with Claudia earlier. So first thing, you do not need a test to leave the country or get on a plane, get on a train, get on a ship. You don't need one. Right. All that matters is what your destination says. And in the case of Croatia, they say, please have a lateral flow test within 48 hours of arrival. Yes. And that arrival is critical. I was, I've been uh, working with a poor family who um, got their test. That, so that it was 48 hours and 15 minutes Oi. before arrival. Um, so it would have been fine if it was departure, but they were told you're not going on the plane. Your, your timing is 15 oh minutes out. Oh, my God. Out. And what happens and if that, the plane gets delayed as well? Uh, well, I think that would be acceptable because you clearly were trying to comply. But mm. um, no, they, they just got turned away and come back tomorrow and that would be hundreds of pounds in um, extra costs. And by the way, you've got to get some more tests done right coming back in and let's, yeah but let's which test to... though do you get because that's the bit uh, that nobody natural knows flow, yeah cheap and easy so yeah, but, no but which one a... though they only say that you can get one which is approved by the eu oh no 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 right so so okay i would be looking entirely at going to um an airport because you are probably going to pick one up for about 40 quid right um and that is going to be uh, very straightforward uh, i i get it done on the day of travel 
Um, if it's lateral flow, it's, it's the easiest thing. They will just add on an extra kind of hour um, in case there's queues. You'll get the result within half an hour and then you can um, check in and off you go. Um, and that that's quite straightforward. Coming back, it's more complicated mm. and it's all part of a plan. And I hope that the government is to um, uh, it is also trying to uh, uh, make sure that we don't get any of those foreign visitors coming in, Mike. Oh, yeah. So yeah, because we don't get many of those. Uh, no, we, we don't get any because they have to spend 100 quid on tests to get back in and get into the UK. So so that's all going as well. Um, just a slight test. I think it's to do with the altitude. Um, and uh, so, <laughs> but, but, but you need, before you come back into the UK, before you get on that plane, that train or that boat, you need to have a lateral flow test. Yes, you can take a PCR test if you really want to pay extra and get a lot more stress because you yeah, why would take you? it. Well, I don't know. Um, so, uh, well, apparently nine out of 10 people, this is from the government, so it must be true. Nine out of 10 <laughs> British people coming back from Spain opt to get an expensive Slow, I don't believe that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cast aspersions on the government's statements, but I don't believe that for a second. Well, um, they say it's 90%. I did a social media poll, completely unverified, self-selecting, and it was 14%. Right. So that's a little, little a lot bit more of like discrepancy it. then. Anyway, well, I, well I, had a, I had a call from a guy in Spain, and he said, because he was so confused, thanks to the government's propaganda, uh, he said, um, do, is it compulsory to get a PCR test? And we discovered throughout the course of the show that it was not compulsory. So he said, well, therefore, I'm not going to get one then. Uh, yeah, he's got to get a lateral flow test. The uh, You've got to pre-book a PCR test for after you arrive. Of course, if you've got children, it's even more complicated because 10 and under, they don't need the test to travel. Five and under, they don't need the PCR test. Um, but you, uh, we, every time there's a change in the rules, as there was last Wednesday night, mm. um, they lob in a grenade or two. So um, Grant Schaps, the Transport Secretary, was saying, we want people to be able to go on holiday without worrying that they're suddenly going to find that they're um, uh, having to get home quickly. Oh, by the way, you've got 78 hours to get back <laughs> from Mexico. Yes. And, uh, oh, by the way, um, you know that testing, you just need a lateral flow test. Well, we'd like you to get a PCR test coming back from Spain, at which point social media goes into a frenzy. Everybody gets the wrong end of the stick. There's rumours that Ryanair, British Airways are turning people away. I'm trying to say they're not going to. A lateral flow test is still allowed. And if any airline turns you away and you're properly documented, they have to pay you cash compensation. Yes. So, But the trouble um, is, again, there are some airlines that do make blunders, aren't there? I mean, this happened at the beginning when some people weren't able to go to oh, Spain yes. because I think it was BA that didn't have the right instructions on what paperwork they could use. Terrible uh, piece of footage on uh, uh, on Twitter yesterday, which you might have seen from Ryanair. They've apparently apologised, uh, where a guy's a child was forcibly given some kind of vaccination in order to travel. And, and you no. know, that apparently wasn't at all uh, in the rules whatsoever. Uh, no, that, that is just shocking. But look, can I ask you for one moment to pity the poor um, uh, airlines? Yes, of they, course. They, right. OK. You mentioned earlier, um, just doing, doing the, doing the um, uh, top, top of the 12 o'clock, you said we had lots of people, as you have, saying, well, I came back and nobody checked my paperwork. Yes. And that's because it's being outsourced to the airlines. The government is saying we want you, the airlines, to make sure that that Mike Graham doesn't get on board until you've gone through his paperwork with a fine tooth comb. Then when Mike Graham lands, 
um, obviously there's the limousine and the red carpet waiting. Um, he just um, uh, go, goes straight through. It's um, it, 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 they, they are outsourcing it, and that is an incredible strain on the airlines. You know, they used just to sort of check your passport, mm. and make sure that you were okay to go in. Now they've got to check the specificity and the sensitivity of the lateral flow test you are presenting. And guess what? They're going to make mistakes. And yeah, of course with, they are. Um, well, I mean, I've got, of, some more, yeah. I've got some more breaking news for you, Simon. Julie Hartley Brewer has put them all on red alert that she's coming back at the weekend. So, you know, Ooh. you remember what happened last time? She got pinged. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they better, uh, not, yeah. they better not do that to her. There'll be trouble. Why is she coming back at the weekend? If she leaves until Monday, then um, from Monday onwards... Well, that's what I moment, said. Yeah, uh, at, the, at, the, at the moment, of course, um, if one person uh, tests positive on a Ryanair or Leeds get plane, then the whole lot of you are going to get told you've got to self-isolate. I know. From Monday on. From Monday, no, right? That, well, they're going to say, go and get a PCR test. If it's negative, then carry on. Yeah. Um, it's going to be quite difficult. But, but, I mean, goodness me. A bit noisy uh, there at the mound, Simon. Uh, well, well, it is. Um, it might be mountain rescue coming in. I don't know. <laughs> I mean... Honestly, it's such a confusing scene. And what about the uh, the queues? Because, of course, uh, the unions have been warning us for a long time there's going to be huge queues coming back in uh, over the course of the next uh, uh, few weeks from parts unknown. Uh, what are you hearing about the airport queues? Uh, well, I'm hearing that they're getting shorter and shorter. And that actually goes back to the outsourcing of the checks. So, effectively, uh, yeah, you might occasionally find that um, somebody's interested in seeing the paperwork. But most of the time, they're going to be rushing you through. They might do the old spot check to make sure that the airlines are, are behaving themselves and checking everybody. But frankly, you know, they simply want to get people processed. They are fully aware, because uh, they have to work there, that if you've got hundreds of people in a confined space uh, waiting for hours um, during a global pandemic, that's not necessarily going to be brilliant. And so, therefore, uh, they want to get you through as soon as possible. Um, and so... I don't fret too much on the uh, occasions when I've come back in since um, travel was made legal again on 17th of May. I've waited uh, about 15, 20 minutes at Heathrow, yeah. roughly, and then coming into Stansted, two minutes, of which the first minute was spent going the wrong way because the signposting was so bad. Yes. Um, so I, I, it's, not, it's not on my list of things to worry about. And the other thing I do is... Um, as soon as I get in, I get that PCR test done at the airport. And yes, it's going to cost 70 quid, but it's all part of the airport procedure. It is actually a real public health benefit because you've got an actual medical person um, doing the stuff. And therefore, if there is a problem, it is going to show up as opposed to one of these self-administered tests. Well, listen, it's always good uh, to see the men in the white coats hanging about. There's no question about that. Um, one, <laughs> and, and one final question for you from Elaine. Uh, she has texted oh. in uh, to 87222. She says, please help, Mike. I'm one of the pariahs that cannot have the jab. Please ask Simon which countries I can go to with just a test. Ah, right. Very good question. It, uh, but you're looking at the Balkans. Um, I believe that Croatia, as discussed, insists everyone has a lateral protest before they go, but they do not insist on vaccinations. Um, and hopefully in time, Lorraine, we will get to a point where it is actually that there is some kind of formal system of testing where you can be accepted pretty much everywhere. But at the moment, we are miles away from that. And I'm really sorry for you and everyone else who's in the position of simply not being medically able right. to have So really jabs. nowhere at the moment, is that what you're saying? No, no, Croatia oh, and Ireland. Oh, no, Ireland, you can't. So you're going to be fully jabbed there. Right. Scotland, that's where I'm going. And you were very kindly asking about 
my travel plans at the moment because I don't want to get pinned yeah. and like uh, Hartley Brewer and uh, told you're going to be um, self-isolating. Um, I'm going to begin the uh, Great Descent, by the way. Well done. Um, it's all, so they say it's, harder, go, it's always harder going down than going up. Oh yeah, you're more like, you're more at risk because mm. you're, you're elated having had this great feeling of success. Yes. So anyway, Elaine, um, yeah, it's an awful situation, uh, but it will get better soon. However, like everything, the cost of testing, it's all going to get better as soon as everybody's back from their summer holidays. Yeah, well there we are. I see, my my theory is indeed uh, proven by Simon Calder, the uh, travel <laughs> editor to the stars. Uh, great to see you, Simon. Thank you so much for sh showing us the mound, uh, a six and a half million pound worthless piece of earth uh, put together by Westminster City Council. Uh, it's so bad. And you know how these people don't like to lose their jobs. It's so bad that the uh, second in command at Westminster City Council, the deputy leader, has resigned. <laughs> it's hopeless, pathetic, useless, absolutely and utterly uh, the worst idea anybody's ever had, I think apart from the Millennium Dome. But even that actually became something decent in the end. This is Talk Radio. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of common sense. It's now on your TV as well. Uh, for details, go to talkradio.tv or download the Talk Radio TV app on the App Store. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, it's coming up to 12.49. It is Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Happy to say there's full compliance uh, in the back room there, in the engine room of the show. Um, very sort of... Uh, what is it? It's like Donald Duffy Duck, isn't it? Looking yes. that, uh, that whole period. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th I think. Uh, is that I the idea? It, yeah, I think okay. so. A bit of a Looney Tunes is he, kind indeed, of Indeed, absolutely. Well, speaking of which, Izzy Rowland is here. Yes, uh, the biggest Yorkshire's Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Sheffield's finest. Yes, Sheffield. Sheffield fine. came up as some kind of affordable place to live. I think the other day. Well, there was a, there was a uh, greenest, happiest place, greenest place. Greenest. You know? Yeah. What do you mean, so. greenest? I think it's like one of the greenest cities. Uh, green, in as the in UK. you know, green energy or. I think ratio like green space to really? live in. I think so. Yeah, with a peat district as well. But well, I don't know about that. I'm sure greener. London's greener than that, isn't it? Mm. I've driven through Sheffield. It's got houses all over the place. All the way up into the hills. Well, you know. Isn't it? You've just it, made that up, haven't you? No, no, I can, I'll come back with that next week. All right, then. Anyway, okay. welcome to the Perry Thank Awards. You very much. This is where we look back on the so called Independent mm. Republic of Mike Graham and choose our so favourite cool. moments. Uh, now, worth pointing out, this is a double rollover special Splendid. because you were obviously absent last week. I was. And Kevin took, Kevin took the hot seat, but, uh, you know, he's. Uh, he was moaning to me he couldn't do the Perry Awards. I said, hands off. That's what I said to him. Well, well, that that came came from came from above, didn't yeah. it? So, uh, so yes, and they are yours. So, uh, following tradition, the first Perry Award goes to you, Mr. Thank Graham, you very much. for the strange noise of the week. I go to Scotland <clears throat> and get pinged. It uh, <laughs> so I, well, actually, I can't get pinged. <laughs> that wasn't me, by the way. It wasn't. It was Lewis McLeod. It was Lewis McLeod. Thank you, Lewis. But, but yes, I, we're still like a. <laughs> yeah. He's away at the moment. Is he? Where yeah. is he? I, I don't want to say. Oh, okay. I think we can keep his keep his location secret. All right, then, fair enough. You know, yes, yes. Somewhere in Europe, let's pay. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, bless him. Well, 
I hope you have a lovely time, Lewis, wherever mm. you are. Um, so another period goes to yourself, Mike, for the fake news of the week. Thank you. Do you know what Sadiq <laughs> Khan said last week? Sadiq Khan, who apparently um, hasn't got enough to do, uh, decided it would be a great idea to make it a criminal offence to wear a mask on the uh, London <laughs> Underground. Yeah, I got that slightly wrong. It's slightly wrong. I did correct it, though. You did. Thank you. You did, but obviously... He wants to make it illegal for you not to wear a mask, doesn't yes. he? Yes. Yes. He st- luckily still hasn't uh, succeeded. Mm, I was mm. on the tube this morning not wearing one. Well, I, I can't confirm or deny either way as to how compliant I am. Okay, but, uh, that's but yes. entirely your business. You yes. don't have to. <laughs> uh, so the next Perry Award goes to British athlete Fatima Whitbread for, a wi- uh, sorry, for awarding Julie Hartley Brewer a gold medal. And there is the infrastructure, so you've got somewhere to go and train. Julia, I'm going to give you a gold medal for talking as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's a double Olympic champion you are now. Julia took it very well. She did take Mm. it very well. Yes. Would you give yourself an award, a a gold? I don't think that would be for me to do. I, no. I would accept awards from others, but okay. generally speaking, I don't. I'm not. I don't care about awards, really. No. You know, okay. so I'm not. It doesn't make any difference to me. I don't need an award. Fair I enough. know how good I am. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so, Dr. Renee Hondekamp gets a perrier for the statement of the week. Do you have any other children, Renee? I have a 32-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> okay, so we won't worry about the 32-year-old. <laughs> I know what she means, but yes. it came out funny, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. How old is your daughter? 32. Yeah. Or your child. That's quite funny, though. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so our favourite royal biographer, Angela Levin, had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction. Now, Ooh. this is a visual period, by the way. So. I don't remember this. To remember that in this country we believe that people are innocent until proven guilty. And I think we forget a lot of that as we're commentating on, on celebrities and the royal family and people that are in the public eye. Um, do you agree that, you know, we need to... <laughs> What's going on there? So she's just kind of like slowly turning, for those who can't see at it's the a moment. Necklace. She's, yes, so she's like... But it's not going all the way around the necklace. No, it's she's... half a necklace. Yeah, she's kind of like doing it the yeah. other way and then it's like all... It's going the wrong way. Yeah. Because when you're looking in the in a, in a, in a sort of yeah. mirror, right, you're actually doing it the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. That's funny. We've all been there. We've all well, been Well, I there. don't wear necklaces, so I can't say that I have been there, oh. actually. Well, it's like sometimes... Well, I did have a problem with the old wire this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, my blushes were spared. Yes, that's true. I couldn't fix it. I was literally, like, completely handless. Were you this way? Well, I just... No, I just wouldn't do anything. Ah. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, my my headphone connection (laughs) was kind of sticking down the front of my jacket, and I was asked to move it, and I couldn't somehow. It wouldn't move. No. I was kind of almost paralytic. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Uh, oh dear. Um, so uh, I think this goes back to on uh, last Sunday, but mm. Simon Calder makes the Perry Awards Simon for the who? most. Simon Calder. 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 Yeah, Calder. Sorry, Calder. Calder. <laughs> Simon Calder yes. makes the Perry Awards for the most irritating man in the background. So, um, sir, if you are watching, please don't be a donut. More than that, um, and. Um, Oh, and if you look behind me, you'll be able to see an idiot um, who's uh, <laughs> um, doing all sorts of things. If you are watching on the camera, um, be environmentally friendly, yeah. um, conscious of your social impact. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll uh, we'll we'll just mute him for a second. I was yes. going to say I, that's not what I remember him saying to me, and it's uh, he's he'd be climbing up the mound with somebody else. Is yeah. that what he's doing? Or uh, is he just walking around? No, no, he was at St Pancras with um, Peter Cardwell on oh, Sunday. Oh, I see. Yes. He looks like yeah. he's on the mound. 
Oh. <laughs> Are you sure he's not on the mound? I'm sh- I can verify mm. that he's not on the Do mound. You know, I had somebody shouting at me the other day, on the other week. I forgot to mention it. it was a cyclist, of course. And I'm oh. walking, you know, just behind Guy's Hospital. And that one, it's a one way street, very quiet street. Yeah. Um, people are on the pavement, people are walking on the, on the road. This cyclist goes bar- barreling past, shouting, um, Pavements are for pedestrians. Well, I won't tell you what I shouted back because that, that no, would be no. uh, not sayable on the radio. No, absolutely. Uh, so next up uh, is Bob Mills. He yawned on screen whilst talking to a guest. This is a Perry Award for the awkward moment of the week. <laughs> of, you know, mountains that then capture that water and turn into rivers and then go back into the sea, etc. Uh, the nearest we have. I'm, sorry, am I keeping you up? <laughs> You're there. I forgot I was on Zoom. I'm really sorry. That's unforgivable to forget. <laughs> but I did yawn. <laughs> Deary me. That's not good. Oh, dear. No. Yes. Come on, Bob. Come on, um, Bob. Raise your game, flies. Exactly. Uh, James, Max and Calvin Robinson were keeping the seat warm for Julia mm. this week. Uh, James gets a Perry Award for the wrong number of the week. We've been talking about PCR tests. We'll come back to that if you wish to. Um, 0345. 0344-499-1000 uh, is the telephone number. 0345. Has he got a separate uh, 0345 number? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. That he gives out to people. Um, finally, mm. uh, we spoke to a caller, James. Now, this is one that you took uh, okay. today, uh, this week, Mike. This is the Perry Award for the interruption of the week, and it goes to you. And that's in the whole country. Mate, listen, 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 dearie me. All right. <laughs> now, now, I'm fairly you know, sure. You don't expect me not to interrupt you, James. Now I'm just going to have oh, to interrupt no, you I mean, all the I mean, time I mean, now because that's what I, I do. Mean... It's true. It don't is expect true. me not to interrupt, especially if you keep banging on and on and on and you yeah. don't stop for breath and you don't let anybody speak. No. Come on, James. It's all about conversation. It is, is about it conversation. Anyway, that's all for the Perry Awards. Very nice. There will be more next week. Well done. Thank you very much indeed. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.